You are now sitting down in the presence of the phenomenal, the one who comes through in the crunch time like abdominals, the one that told you to stop and let your problems go, to feel the effect in your bones, dominoes. I know you think you're suffering like I don't know, financially struggling like I don't know. It's hard to be a Christian like I don't know. But if I ask you about a solution, you like, I don't know. Well, let me tell you about the problem solver then. You might be all that, boo, but you ain't sovereign, and you didn't die for sin, and you can't conquer death. Still think you all that? Man, hold your breath. I'm talking about the great I am. Anybody out here looking for contentment? Because I am. I learned that I can do all things through Christ, but that means all things are lost. Contentment comes at a great price, and today we're going to talk about the cost. Amen. Everybody? Give it up for the online family, too. What's up, online family? Hey, my name is Rashad Cunningham. I am the teaching and community pastor here at the Carmel, uh, location of the Mercy Road Family of Churches. I'm thankful to be here this morning. And I'm going to start off by saying, please give me grace this morning. I found out on Thanksgiving that Pastor Rob, who was supposed to be preaching this Sunday, wouldn't be able to preach. And you know, Thanksgiving... I'm not working on a sermon on Thanksgiving. I love Jesus, but I love ham and turkey too, right? And, and then on Friday, I was like dealing with the effects of what I ate on Thanksgiving, so I couldn't work on a sermon then. And so I, I, I'm, I'm a little like, you know, normally I have a week and I have a couple, maybe a day, maybe a night. So give me grace. And uh, because of that, because of that, um, we were supposed to talk about the cost of contentment, but, uh, you know, Josh didn't know about this and the people back there didn't know about this. Today, we're talking about hell. And yeah, and I, and I know it's like, man, like, every time I come to church, like, if you're a first-time guest, you're like, that's why I don't go to church, because they're talking about hell, they're talking about hell, and, and you know, and I'm sorry, but, you know, I just kind of got to call an audible, we're going to talk about hell today, so, um, hell to the victors, I say hell to the conquering heroes, hell, hell to Michigan, the leaders and the best, yes, yes. No? That, that, that's the sermon. <laughs> that's all I got. No, no, seriously. Um, today we're going to talk about the cost of contentment. And uh, uh, I'm just going to pull out a couple things here. Uh, how to, you know, get the atmosphere right. Got the smoke and, you know. No, seriously. Uh, <laughs> yesterday, huh? Okay, no. Um, all right, check it out. I, yesterday I was, I was working on my sermon late because of the game, so I do need your grace. I was on the phone with that man right there with the Michigan hat right there and the yellow right there, uh, Brad, and I called him after the game was over, and we spent 20 minutes screaming, just like, ah, 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 that's it. That's all we did. Like, we didn't talk, right? Am I telling the truth? And I lost my voice in the midst of that because I forgot I had to preach today. <laughs> uh, give me grace with that too, right? But here's the thing. It's a special day for me. Because Michigan won, right? And uh, I surrendered my life to Jesus Christ in 2011. I gave my life May 28, 2011. I didn't start preaching until December 16th of 2012. So this is the first Sunday in all my nine years of preaching that I've preached on a Sunday after Michigan beat Ohio State because last time Michigan beat Ohio State, I was just saved. I was newly saved. I wasn't a preacher. So God must have knew something to have me up here on this Sunday, preaching to you on the first time in 10 years that the glorious Go Blue beat that other team. 
I love you. I love you. Ain't you getting baptized today? Amen. See, God is working on you. God is working on you already. <laughs> All right. Let's get serious. Today we are talking about the cost of contentment. The cost of contentment. And before we can talk about the cost of contentment, we have to come to an agreement on what is contentment biblically. Because you might have a whole bunch of ideas of what you think it is, but we need to surrender those ideas for what the Bible says it is. So contentment comes from a, a compound Greek word. The first part is where we get like words like autonomy and automatic. It's about self, right? Like autonomous is self-governing, automatic. It's self-shifting. I don't know nothing about cars, but self-shifting transmission or something like that. I don't know, right? But it has, it's auto. Auto is the first part. And the, the second part is about sufficiency or enough. So it's like self-sufficiency is what contentment means in the Greek. And when you look at it throughout the Bible, it's about having enough. It's about being sufficient. It's about being okay, having enough, being filled, being happy. You're sufficient. You have enough. So I want everybody to understand that first. And then we're going to be in the book of Philippians, and that's where we're going to land is Philippians 4. We're going to be looking at verses 10 through 13. But the first thing is we wanted to know what contentment is. Now, over those years of preaching, now I told you I started preaching in 2012, I used to preach with notes, but I had to stop preaching with notes because I got real um, discontent with what people thought about me. I wanted to be uh, respected by the people I'm preaching to. So what I would do is I would preach my notes, and my notes would be real good, and I'd be telling you all kinds of Greek and Hebrew and, like, giving you all this stuff that you would walk out and be like, he told me a lot, but I don't know what to do with any of that. He just showed me how smart he was. He didn't show me nothing about Jesus. Big pride issue. And so I was a young preacher. That's something that's a lot of young preachers go through. So I got rid of my notes, and I said, you know what? I'm going to go up there content with the time I spent with the Lord, and whatever he has for me to give is what I give. And so that's why I preach without notes. But when you preach without notes, you have these phrases that you use to try to get to, like, your next thought, because a lot of it you're, like, you're literally going with the Holy Spirit. You're going off the heart, so you're like, man, there's a couple phrases you might fall in love with. And mine was all the good things, right, Nick, and all the good things. I'd be like, and all the good things. My wife got so upset because she's like, sometimes when you're telling your testimony, you're like, yeah, I was addicted to alcohol, and I was addicted to porn, and, and all the good things. And she's like, Rashad, that doesn't work. Like, those are not good things, and there's nothing good about that. You can't use that. But I used to use it, and my wife would get upset. And what happened was I came to Mercy Road. Now, anybody know Pastor Kathy? Pastor Kathy? Yeah, give it up, Pastor Kathy. Amen. Yeah. I came to Mercy Road, and I spent a lot of time with Pastor Kathy when we are talking about discipleship and rooted and how we're going to reach people for the kingdom. And she kept saying this phrase I love. She says, all the things. Everybody say, all the things. things. So much better than all the good things, right? Because all the things works with the good and the bad. Somebody say, all the things again. All the things. All right. Yeah, that works. All right. So look at this. In the book of Philippians, there's this phrase, all things. That is repeated five times throughout this book. All things, all things, all things, all things. And then you see this other word, rejoice, which means be glad, repeated nine times. Be glad, be glad, all things, be glad, be glad, all things. Paul's writing this letter from prison to this church, and he's teaching them what joy and happiness is all about. And so when we're dealing with contentment of having enough, of having enough in all things, it's going to cost you something to be able to have contentment in all things or to have enough in all things. So we're asking ourselves, you know, what does it cost to truly have biblical contentment? We're in Philippians 4, verses 10 through 13. Philippians 4, 10 says this, But I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at last you have revived your concern for me. Indeed, 
You were concerned before, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know how to get along with humble means, and I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both having abundance and suffering need. I can do all things or all the things through him who strengthens me. Amen, somebody, right? So the first thing, to have true biblical contentment, we must first give up our where. We have to give up our where, um, the place we think will lead to our enough. Remember, contentment is about enough. It's about having enough. And so the first thing we have to do to have true biblical contentment is give up the where that we think will lead to us having enough. Um, anybody have like a spot that they've been on vacation and they're like, man, if I just lived here, life would be better. If I just could move here and afford to live here, life would be better and I would have enough. And I'm telling you like, you think that, but then you'll move there and you'll realize people are as jacked up there as they are here and it's not enough, right? And so Paul says, I greatly rejoiced in the Lord. See, he's in prison and this church he's writing to in Philippi, they used to support him and they stopped support for whatever reason, but they started it back up and he's like, hey, I rejoice that you started up your support, you're providing for me again, but I'm not rejoicing about the provisions that you're giving me, I'm rejoicing in the Lord about what he's allowing you guys to do again. It's something about this phrase, in the Lord, everybody say, in the Lord. In the Lord, in the Lord. say it again, in the Lord like you mean it. In the Lord. There you go, say it with your chest, right? Like, here it goes. So check it out, so check it out. A lot of us... Don't rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice, be happy, find happiness in the Lord. A lot of us don't find contentment in the Lord. My daughter, Genesis, right, she's 18. She's in, she's in ISU right now. But when she made that transition, Brad, from 15 to 16, where she was driving, she started feeling herself a little bit, right, because she got a little car, got a little license, can come and go, right? And so I'm the, you know, I'm the, hey, still rules in my house, right? You still live in my house. That's your car, but it's my house. Ha, ha, ha. And so if you're going to live in this house, you're going to be in the house by 11 p.m. That you are 16, you need to be in the house by 11 p.m., right? In the house. Everybody say in the house. In the house. My daughter would pull up to the crib, and I'm waiting for her to be in the house at 11 o'clock. She comes strolling in about 11.03. Right? And I'm like, Genesis. Actually, she wouldn't even come strolling in. About 11.03, I'm just making the phone call. Genesis, I'm a little worried. Is everything okay? Because I told you to be in the house at 11 o'clock. She's like, Dad, I'm in the car at the house. <laughs> you see the problem with this? I told you to have your little behind in the house at 11 p.m. And you talking about you at the house like it's the same thing. But there's a big difference between being at the house and in the house. Amen, parents. Amen, right? So what happens is, in the same way, spiritually, a lot of us rejoice at the Lord, but not in the Lord. A lot of us rejoice and find happiness at the thought of the Lord, at the thought of church, at the thought of when everything is going good and going my way, then I can rejoice at the Lord. But we don't rejoice in the Lord. Whatever your where is, is the place where you think 
you would have that happiness, that fulfillment, that enoughness. And if you take what belongs to the Lord and put it in that place, that place will fail you. Some of you uh, have a metaphorical place when it was Thanksgiving weekend coming up, right? And you were like, man, if I could just get to that place, to what place? To Thanksgiving weekend when I get four days off of work, man, life will be good. And then you got around your relatives and you was like, this is not what I expected, right? <laughs> right? And so all your joy and happiness and your, like, what's going to get you through the week was going to be in this four-day weekend, and it's Sunday, and you like, I feel no better. I feel no nothing. Like, it just came and went, right? And, and you put all your happiness and all this expectation in the place, and the place failed you. And you're not content. Why? Because you put it in something that could change. So the first thing we must do to have true contentment is to give up our where. Where do you think happiness is? Where's your happy place? If I can just get to this place, and sometimes people think it's church, and then they come, and they don't, it's not their favorite preacher, or it's not their favorite song. And so that happy place, that place that they, if I could just get back to mercy, if I could just get back to Sunday, then things will be better than you come, and the person who wanted to preach ain't preaching, that they ain't singing the songs you want to sing, and what you're finding is you've actually put all your happiness and all this stuff that could change instead of the one thing that doesn't change every time you come back here Sunday, and that's that Jesus is here. Am I talking to somebody? Okay, I just want to make sure. Okay. So the first thing we must give up is our where. Paul was thankful, happy even, that they could provide for him, but he rejoiced in the Lord, not at the Lord. It wasn't like, man, these blessings is all that in the bag of chips. Thank you, Lord, but let me get back to the blessings, right? It's like, no, 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 no. You are the one I'm rejoicing in because they're providing, but when that provision stops again, it's not going to stop what I'm having with you. Amen. You, you, you beat me to it, didn't you? Look, like he's on top of it. So look at this. I rejoiced in the Lord. There's the place. Greatly. That now at last you have revived your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned before, but you lacked opportunity. Now, check this out. He goes, not that I speak from want. So it's not like I need this. I'm happy you could do it, but I don't need this. Remember, contentment, self-sufficient, Right? I don't need this, not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. And I love the fact that he says, I learned. That means Paul didn't have this down pat either, right? And we got to, like, sometimes we idolize Paul. We make him more than what he is. I mean, don't get me wrong. He wrote half the New Testament, but he had to learn contentment. Why? Because that's not a natural thing for us to be content. We, we, we don't naturally feel sufficient. We don't naturally feel like we have enough. We always want more. I mean, think about a child. I said it last week. You don't have to teach a child to, uh, to want more. You have to teach a child to share and be content. Why? Because you come out, want more. Wow, I just fed you. Give me more. Don't care. I'm not content, right? Anyway, <laughs> so, so look at this. So look at this. He says, I had to learn to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know how to get along with humble means. I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. So the second point is for us to be truly content, biblical content, we must give up our what? It's the plans, the positions, and the potentials we think will lead to our enough. You've made plans in life. And you think if you hit that goal or if you get to that position in life or, or potentially if this happens, then you'll be happy. Everybody does the, if I hit the lottery, I'd be happy. And then you see people hit the lottery and it destroys their life, right? You got plans. If I just get married by this age, if I have a baby by that age, if I do this, if I, you got all these plans. 
and you put all your happiness and all your joy in these plans being successful, and then you achieve these plans, and it's not enough. That's where you want to find your happiness, and you wonder why you're not content. See, Paul said, I, I learned the secret. So I did the same thing that you did, and it all failed me. And I realized I have to pick something that can't fail me. Well, what's that? The Lord. You see how that works? And so I think about it like when I was watching the game yesterday, right? So when I was watching the game yesterday, I don't normally like to talk to people when I'm watching Michigan play, but I got this brother named Alex, and he was being my emotional support person as I was like, we were texting during the game. And so I was like this. I was like, man, we got the ball first. We need to score. And we scored. We scored first. I was like, he's like, man, you, you scored first. And I was like, yeah, that's not enough. We need to get a stop now. And we got the stop. And then I was like, man, we need to score again. We scored again. And I was like, yeah, man. He's like, hey, man, you're up at halftime. I was like, yeah, it's not good enough. We need to stop them when we come out because they got the ball. And I just kept, I was whining the entire game. We were winning the entire game. We never trailed. And I whined the entire game about what else had to happen. Even after we were up like 42-27 with like a minute left, I was like, they let us have that because they got a plan and, and we got to stop their plan. I was never content. Why? Because it wasn't over. Because I wasn't sure if it was enough. All the stuff that was going right, I wasn't sure if it's enough. And many of us are living life the same way. We're constantly living in this anxiety, in this fear, because we just don't know if what we have is enough. Why? Because you know that stuff can get taken from you. You know that stuff is losing value. Man, got this new car. Oh, I'm about to be, I'm about to glow up now. And then you drive up the lot and your car is worthless again, right? Right? Like, this, this, is, this is the world. All the plans you have. All the, if I just get hired to this place, and then you get hired to that job, and you thought it was going to be happy six months in, you can't wait to go home from work because you hate it. But that's all, that job was going to make you happy, though. You're like, well, if I could just make this amount of money and just, and all these plans, and you're putting this happiness, you're putting your joy in all these things that can change, that can lose value, that can fail you. And it's killing us. It's destroying us, man. And so I have to ask, when you look at Paul, Paul says, I've learned how to be content in whatever the circumstances. It doesn't mean Paul didn't have plans. It doesn't mean Paul didn't have, you know, desires of positions. He, he had all those things. But whether he got it or not, those things didn't make him happy. Only the Lord did. There's this thing. You can be a thermometric Christian or a thermostatic Christian. Check this out. A thermometer. You put a thermometer on the wall, and the atmosphere determines if it goes up or down, right? Like, if it's hot, the thermometer goes up. If it's cold, the thermometer goes down. But a thermostat, you set the temperature, and it changes the atmosphere around it. Many Christians are thermometric. We're like that thermometer. If things are good... I thank God, amen, he turns graves into gardens, yes, 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 yes. When things are bad, that garden's a grave. I don't believe he turns graves into gardens because I'm in a grave, right? And so you go up and down and up and down, and you're never content, and you're always worried about even the good stuff becoming bad because you're like, well, when's it going to change, and when's it going to go wrong? Or you get to the good stuff, and you realize it's not as much as you thought it was, so you want more of that good stuff. And this is honestly like, if I, if, like this is, check this out, y'all. One way that people become addicted to something, okay? I didn't say this in the last two services, but, but what, what you do is you give somebody uh, the greatest experiences you possibly can for as free as possible, and they become addicted to that high, that high. It, it, it's like this high is the wow, and it was very cheap, and it was this, and every time they come back, you, you make it a little less, 
and a little more expensive and a little less and a little bit more expensive and a little less and a little bit more expensive until they're addicted because they're still searching for that first high. They'll never find contentment. That's how you, that's how you make an addict, right? The, the enemy is doing this with your, your, th- your materials, like your homes and your cars and your education and your jobs and your status and trying to keep up with each other and all this. Like, this is what the enemy's doing. He's making you think that when you look at social media, that's the high that you want. And so you change things about yourself and change things about your situation. You try to change your circumstances, and then you achieve it and realize it's not worth it, so you need more, and you keep looking for the next high and the next high, and you're never content. You're always miserable. And and, and so you talk about the people who are addicted to drugs or the people who are fiends that are walking the streets, but you're no different in your own context. You're no different. That's why you got an iPhone, it works perfectly fine, but you need the new iPhone, right? Because it's not, a, I, I gotta have the new thing. It doesn't really do anything really different. It might have a little bit better of a camera, but I don't even use the camera like that, but I need a new one. Why? Because I gotta keep up with everybody else. Because that's how I'm gonna be happy. Some of us have plans of like, man, if, if I just had what that person had or what that person had or whatever, then I would like, it's all these things that you're looking at and all of them will fail you. So Paul says it like this, y'all. Paul says, look, he says, I know how to get along in humble means. I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of being filled and going hungry. He's not saying you have to be broke to be a Christian. He's not saying you have to be poor to be a Christian. Like too many people be like getting on people who got money. Like, oh, if you was a real Christian, you wouldn't have money. That's, that's come on. No. But if you think that that money is what makes you happy, then you've missed it because that money can go down the drain. That money can be stolen from you. That money will betray you at some point. Instead, be happy in the Lord. Be content in the Lord and use the money to do the things of the kingdom, including provide for your family and all those things, right? So he says, in any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of being filled and going hungry. That means I know how to eat a good steak, And enjoy the steak, but I know how to eat some ramen noodles and spam too, right? And I can be happy in both. Why? Because over here it's like, yo, thank you, Lord, that I'm even in a position to eat a steak. Like, man, or or pulled pork, right? Like, thank you. I got Big B's pulled pork. This man makes some really good pulled pork, by the way. I'm just going to keep saying it so he gets the hint. I'm promoting him here, right? No, but, but, but but like, thank you that there's even a brother who wants to provide. Like, amen. But when all I can afford is the ramen noodles and the spam... Thank you that I can even eat ramen noodles and spam. Why? Because neither meal is what makes me happy. The fact that I know you are enough and you're the one that's providing either meal makes me happy enough. It's enough. It's just enough. And so any circumstance, any situation, do you see how this destroys so much of what the world is trying to tell you? It destroys it. The world looks at you and says, because you live in this tax bracket, or this area, or you're that color, or you're that weight, or you're this, or you're, or you're that, you're that politic, or you're this. Because of that, you're not enough to somebody on the opposite end of that spectrum. And, and the Bible looks at you and says, no, none of y'all are enough. <laughs> it doesn't matter which side of the spectrum you are in. And, the only, and, and, and none, neither sides of those spectrums will bring you happiness. The only thing that will bring you happiness is Jesus. In fact, God, the Bible says, has left a piece of eternity missing inside of you that only he can feel to remind you that this place is not enough. 
Like, I want you to think about this because I'm, I'm, God has called me for however long to a church in a community in Hamilton County. There's nothing wrong with Hamilton County at all. But my fear is I've met many people time and time again who are so content in Hamilton County because it makes them feel like it's enough. They're like, well, you got to understand, the house, the car, the family, the education, life is just good. I've got enough. And so they become complacent. They become stuck, and they don't want to move. Why? Because they feel like they've arrived, like they have enough. And then something happens, and it destroys it. Something comes and steals their peace, as the Bible says. And the question is, why would you put your peace in something that could be stolen? Why would you put your happiness in something that could depreciate? That's not, that's not smart, but it's also not Christian because God loves you so much he doesn't want that to happen. And so I'm not saying it's like, oh, Hamilton County, you don't. No, no, I'm saying because I love you. I love you. Don't fall in love with here because it's not enough. It'll fail you. But on the flip side, those who maybe are here who don't live in Hamilton County or come from a different background and all that, hey, hey, when we're here in poverty, sometimes we think if we just had those things, we would have enough, so we're not content here. And we're in poverty, and we let this become our reason that we can't do anything, we can't live, any, we, we can't achieve anything because we're not enough because we don't have the money or we don't have the means. And God's like, no, no, even in that situation, I haven't changed. Your circumstances have changed. Your situations have changed, but I haven't changed, and I am enough. And if you have me, if you are in me, not at me, but in me, then you have enough. Finally, look at this. So after he says, I know how to get along with humble means, and I also know how to live in prosperity, in any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. Verse 13, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Y'all, this is the most misquoted verse in the Bible. Let me tell y'all people use this verse, y'all. They go, you know what, Pastor? There's this car. I ain't got the credit. I ain't got the money. I ain't got the money in the bank. Matter of fact, even if I did get the car, I don't have a job that's paying me enough to afford the car. But I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I'm like, what? <laughs> What's that got to do with this situation? Oh, you know, Christ is going to give me everything I need to make this bad financial decision because, you know, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It's like, no, did you read the rest of it? Did you read the part before it? Like why he said it? Exactly why did he say that? And so let me tell you how people look at this verse. First, there's the negative side of it where people say, I can't do all things through Christ who strengthens me. In other words, Rashad, you don't know my situation. I hear you, but you don't understand my suffering. You don't understand what I'm going through. I can't get through this with Christ. I can't get through this period. I can't do this the Christian way. I got I to gotta find a lick. I got to find a way to get out of this on my own because I can't do it through Christ. I can't do it the Christian way. I got to find another way to do it. I can't do it. Well, that's pride because you're looking at God and you're telling him what he can or can't do with you in your situation, in your circumstance. That's pride. And that's the wrong way of looking at this. I can't do it. I can't do it the way he wants me to do it. I can't get through this. I can't persevere. I can't hold on through Christ who strengthens me. And it's like, no, 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 you're telling God what he can't do because you're literally saying he can't do it in you. 
But then there's the I can do all things, but you forget the Christ who strengthens me part. It's another pride thing. I can do it. Matter of fact, I'm only here this morning because I spent the night at my relative's house for Thanksgiving. So my relative brought me in here. I don't normally go to church. I don't need Jesus. I can do all things, period. Stop there. Why? If you look at my car, look at my house, look at my education, look at my family, I'm a good person. I don't need him. I can do all things. I don't need Christ to strengthen me for Strengthen me for what? You see what I bench, bro? Like, no, y'all didn't catch that? Okay, that's cool. Um, I, didn't, I didn't really get it either. Anyway. <laughs> But I can do all. It's a me, me. I can do all things. And then there's this one right here that's probably the most devastating. I can do all things through you take out Christ and you put somebody else there. See, my last point is for us to have true contentment, we have to give up our who. Our who. First, the who can't be you, but it can't be anybody else either. So we take Christ out of that sentence and we put other people in there. I can do all things through my husband who strengthens me. I can do all things through my wife who strengthens me. I can do all things through my child who strengthens me. And all you're doing is you're putting up these idols in your life of people who you think will be your enough. Let me tell you something. I struggle with weight. Some of you who are a little bit more intimate with me know that I have a weight issue. I, that's my spiritual battle is my weight. I struggle with it. I battle. Sometimes I win it. Sometimes I lose it. What I've learned from struggling with weight is that it's bad for your body because your body was not meant to have that amount of weight on it. So it starts to deteriorate the rest of your body and heart problems and stuff, back pains and all this stuff because you got way too much weight on your body. It was never meant for that. That's part of my weight problem. Spiritually, when you take the expectation of happiness and contentment that can only be held up by Jesus and you put it on any other person, you're putting a weight on them that will crush them. I want you to think about this. That child that was going to be your answer to all your problems, you could just have a child. I had one. Genesis. Had her, and then all I wanted her to do was walk and talk. I was like, okay, I'm kind of past the gaga Google. I, <laughs> I was like, I'm kind of past the gaga Google stage. Like, I need you to walk and talk. Like, do something. So she started walking and talking, and I was like, I need you to shut up and sit down, <laughs> right? And and then she started driving. I couldn't wait for her to drive so she could go like grocery shopping for me, right? Then I was like, well, why are you always gone, right? Then she went, I couldn't wait for her to go to college and get the house. Then I'm like, well, when are you coming home? Can you imagine the weight on her of like, I, I'm not Jesus, Dad. You're looking for me to be all these things, and I'm not ever going to be all these things. And if I have to be all those things, you're crushing me. Think about your spouse, right? When you say I do, could you imagine saying I do by first saying, well, first I do to you, because this knucklehead is going to change. <laughs> but even when they change, my first vow is to you, and you don't change, and so I'm content in the fact you don't change, that I can remain in my marriage even when they do. Think about your church experience. Father, you led me to this church, and at this church, 
I feel like you placed me here, so I'm making a vow to you to be at this church, and, and, and I'm content in the fact that you brought me to this church. Even when the pastor's getting on my nerves or not meeting all my needs, because that's not my Jesus. Even when the worship team isn't doing a great job or is not singing the songs I want, that's not my Jesus. I didn't come for them. I came for you. You put me here. So even when those things change, Father, I'm not leaving until you tell me to leave because you don't change. But instead, what we do is we take the weight that belongs to Jesus and Jesus alone, and we put it on each other. Even as we share the gospel, we got people in our communities of, of, of the LGBTQ community and, and Republicans and Democrats and Black Lives Matter and Blue Lives Matter and all these different things. And we're like, and, until they hit some expectation of ours, we can't be happy. I, I, I can't love my relative that is living a lifestyle that I don't agree with and, and is destroying me. I didn't raise them like that, and, and now my happiness is gone because I expected them to be this great Christian whatever, right? And they're not. And so now you're not happy about your child because your child is not living out a life that you had planned for them to live out, and you've put the expectations of Jesus on your child instead of just loving them with the expectation Jesus has of you. And knowing that Jesus is enough, leading them to the enough, instead of trying to make them enough. Well, family, this is what contentment is. Contentment is having enough in all the things because you have enough in the Lord. It's that simple. And I want you to think about this and let this really soak in. Who are the what's, the where's, and the who's in your life that you've placed the weight of Jesus on and then get upset or cancel them or cut them off when they fail to lift that weight, to carry that weight? Who can? Who among you can? I can. So as we get ready to sing this song, Gyra. I want you to think about it in a different way as you're singing it. Think about the words. Don't just sing aimlessly. Sing with precision. I can be content in every circumstance. Gyra, you are enough. You see that? See how those words become more than just a good song that makes you feel good, but it actually means something, and we choose songs specifically for a reason? See, I can be content in every circumstance because he is enough. Not because my situation is enough. Not because my wife is enough or my daughter is enough or my mom or my dad. No, no, he's enough so I can be happy. I can rejoice in the Lord. I don't rejoice for my suffering, but I rejoice in my suffering because I rejoice in the Lord. He's forever enough, always enough, more than enough. When you sing that this time, think about it. Think about what you're saying. And here's the thing. If, if you, when you say you are enough, if you don't put Christ there, then stop. Stop singing and repent of whatever it is that you're replacing the you with. And it's okay to admit it. Paul said, I had to learn this. And I'm telling you right now, I had to learn this. 
For so many years, I would get up in front of predominantly white congregations and feel like I was not enough as a black man. So I would try to prove that I could preach in front of them by being this smart, educated preacher instead of being who God made me to be. Even this week, my first response to learning I had to preach on Thanksgiving was I don't have enough time. Then God met me on Sunday, on Saturday night and said, I don't need your time. I'm enough. Just preach me. Just preach the gospel. That's enough. And so I'm going to ask you, those who can, to stand up. And as we get ready to sing this song, I want you to think about it from that perspective. See, somebody in this room doesn't feel that they're enough. And somebody feels that they're too much of being enough. Both ends of that spectrum are wrong. The whole Old Testament says this, you are not enough. There are rules, there are standards that God has, and you can never fulfill them because you're not enough. But he loved you so much in your not enoughness that he sent the enough for you. And that enough, his name was Jesus Christ, and he died on the cross for you so that you could be enough in him. When you stand before God on judgment day, he's not going to see you. He's going to see his son. He's not going to look at you and say, Billy, you're enough, or say, you're enough, or say, you're enough. He's going to say, you're covered in the blood of my son, and that is enough. So when you sing this song this time, praise him for being enough. And whatever it is that you're holding on to that you think is enough, let it go so your hands can go up. Let go of it. And that is enough. Amen? Let's bow our heads and pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for being enough. I thank you, Father, even that I'm not enough. Because every time I've tried to be enough, I have come short. I have failed. I have fallen short of your glory. And so, Father, for you to love me enough when I wasn't even chasing after you and for you to send your son when I wasn't even thinking about him, before I was even a thought, Father, you thought about me. And you allowed your son to die on the cross. And you said if I believed in him as Lord, surrendering my life, and if I believed that he had died for my sins and that he was the only way to you, Father, that that was enough. Father, let us lay down anything else that is keeping us from, from being enough in the Lord. Let us add nothing else to him, but take nothing away from that. And rest in the fact that everything we need to be with you was completed and finished in Jesus Christ. It's in his precious name we pray. Amen.